Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 93 with Marissa McLean. Welcome to episode 93 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. Our guest for this episode is a Midwestern art kid from Michigan turned Boston brand specialist working in Major League Baseball. She's a talented photographer, designer, art director, and brand strategist. I first met her at Major level creative connect or mlc connect for short after her talk and her self-admission that she wasn't a huge sports person so i knew i had to talk to her after that currently she's a senior designer and brand specialist for the boston red sox where she is responsible for creative direction and design execution of all departments within the organization including ticketing social media marketing and baseball operations she's also responsible for overseeing the design team and managing relationships with outside creative service providers such as freelancers and agencies. I'm very happy to welcome Marissa McLean to the podcast, sometimes referred to, well, once referred to as the cool white chick in the background. (laughs) We'll we'll get into that. Uh, Anyway, thanks for joining me today, Marissa. Hi, how's it going? Uh, Pretty well. So I've got to ask, it's, it's the week the week we're recording this, the 2017 World Series was last week. Our pals and former podcast guests, Chris David Garcia and Ross Yoshida's creative teams faced off with one another. I know yeah, it's probably very exciting. Yeah, yeah, very cool. I know it's probably bittersweet considering the Red Sox season ended earlier than what you guys would like, but I'm curious, what's a baseball creative department working on? What's on the radar after the World Series? Yeah, I. it's actually a lot busier than people would expect. Um, we kind of hit the ground running right after we're out of the running in the postseason. So uh, I'm getting all these requests from ticketing. We're already working on the tickets for next season and uh, renewal packages for our season ticket holders and working on like all the different brochures for our premium season ticket holders and our regular season ticket holders. It's just, uh, it's a lot less reactive then the season and it it's like less um fun in your face kind of stuff but mm-hmm. it's also just even coming up really quickly with new creative direction for next season and that's right. kind of been what we've been focusing on it's just cool. coming up with new looks coming up with new everything probably a lot of experimentation right now as far as like creativity is involved yeah um right now one of my biggest things was trying to get offline as much as possible. Yeah. And cause I feel like what ends up happening. And I think that a lot of sports designers have the same kind of issue is that everyone's looking at the same stuff on Behance and uh, Twitter and everywhere else and Instagram. And you end up kind of having a group think. And mm-hmm. so we've been trying, I've been trying to go to different artist talks, trying to get outside of the office, trying to, get different books to get inspiration from looking at archival stuff and just trying to get a new uh, perspective than what we all see all the time. 
Cool. Yeah. And, and I noticed on your, I think it was your Instagram or something where you just took a trip to Iceland. Was <laughs> yeah. that during the season or was that after? That was during the season. Okay. Um, which is not always <laughs> encouraged and it is a little stressful <laughs> to leave during imagine. the season for a week, but it was awesome to go to really fun. So was that like a, like kind of an inspiration trip or just a place you always wanted to go? Um, it was just like a fun, quick trip because from Boston, it's really easy to get there. So yeah, I, I just wanted to go with one of my friends and, um, I don't know that their design work is that inspiring there, but it is really inspiring just to see all the different like beautiful things they have to offer in right. Iceland. But yeah, I, cool. I think right now getting inspiration, just going to realizing like we're in Boston, we can go to Harvard and go to different artist talks. You can go to MIT, you can go to all these different places and learn and kind of see what there is. And when you're during, when it's during the season, you don't get that. Right. Right. Well, I definitely want to get into some of that later, but I, I do want to backtrack a little bit <laughs> and kind of give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit of your story. I, I know that you listen to the podcast every once in a while and you're probably familiar with this part, but if you could just kind of give us a bird's eye view of how you got into art and design uh, and then sort of your path leading up to the Red Sox. Yeah. So working uh, with art and design, I don't think I ever, when I started, anticipated me getting into sports design. I don't even think I knew that, that was an option when I was applying to college. I definitely didn't know it was an option going into college. So um, when I was like applying to college, uh, I did a lot of art photography. I got into University of Michigan with a portfolio of gummy bear art. I would melt <laughs> gummy bears and make these different scenes and take pictures. And I did these gummy bear paintings when I, where I would melt the gummies onto a canvas and paint over them. And it was a whole thing. And that's cool. Uh, it was that's, fun. that's, it seems like that level of sort of <laughs> uniqueness is pretty rare for like a high school kid, <laughs> like applying to art schools. Yeah. So, um, I, got a scholarship to the University of Michigan with that portfolio, which is so That's funny awesome. to think about. <laughs> um, and so when I started college, I thought I was just going to do art photography. And then um, I joined the newspaper there and it was my first time like photographing people. <laughs> and I realized I liked that. Mm -hmm. And then um, at the newspaper, I got really into that. And then I started doing sports photography. And before I, I started taking pictures of Michigan football, I honestly had no idea what went into being a football player or went into the, I, I never really would go to the games. I would just do my laundry on football Saturdays. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> a thing, but then I was on the field. I was going to the press conferences. I was kind of engulfed in the whole thing and I realized like wait I really connected with all the pageantry of it all that uh the players I I was so inspired by how much time and effort and they put into being a student athlete because it was something that was just so beyond what I could do because they're doing press conferences they're still taking classes they're doing all these practices and they're still performing on the field and it was just really interesting to see that different kind of intelligence that I didn't have and it was really fun to be on the field and shooting and there's also 
a competitive aspect to shooting on the sidelines, especially with football, that I really connected to. So you got to like uh, push people out of the way to get the right shot. <laughs> yeah, well, because you're running up and down the sidelines, you're uh, you you have to anticipate the action. You have to be able to kind of know what's going on, and I could also kind of use my charm to get uh, good spots on the field and it yeah. being like one of the only female <laughs> photographers right um and so that was a really formative experience and then after college i was kind of looking when i was looking for jobs i was i was looking for a place that would have that kind of really rabid fan base a place that would be kind of like the big house and having that storied history a place that uh has people who really care about what I would be working on. And so I saw Fever Pitch, <laughs> and I was like, I'd never been to Boston. I didn't know anything about the Red Sox. And then I was like, oh, that place would be great. So I um, I emailed the head photographer, Mike Ivins, uh, at the Red Sox, and I asked if they had any internships. And this was in 2013 when I graduated. So he was like, yeah, we do. <laughs> and I did a Skype interview and they let me skip a month of the season so I could graduate. And then we ended up winning the World Series. And I was like, baseball is amazing. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had no idea that next year we would be last place again. But at the time I was like, this is amazing. And, um, also in school, I was doing design work the whole time and just combining, uh, photography and design at the newspaper. I, I would design, uh, the articles that my photos would go into. And so at the Red Sox, then a position for a graphic designer popped up and I applied to that and I just have been hanging around ever since. So did you, uh, obviously you applied for art school, but did you declare for graphic design? I mean, when did that, that it, I noticed your degree was art and design. So when did that kind of take place? At the University of Michigan, you can't really like major in a specific uh, medium. Uh -huh. You just have to, it's just art and design. So you have to, your freshman year, you're in the wood shop, you're doing metal smithing, you're right. doing pottery, you're doing it all. And then you can kind of, in your senior year, you can kind of make everything more specific and you have a senior thesis. And uh, so I kind of focus on design and photography the whole time. Okay, I see. Yeah, it's kind of, so mine was like a Bachelor of Fine Arts and then you could do like an emphasis in a topic. So my emphasis yeah. was like, my Bachelor of Fine Arts was in art with an emphasis in graphic design, but we had to take a lot of the same, like we had to do like metal smithing. It was jewelry and metal smithing. <laughs> uh, and I, I, that was the name of the class. And I loved, it was like one of my favorite classes, but I would always tell my friends that I was in like a metal smithing class. Because <laughs> there was just something weird about being like, yeah, I'm in a jewelry class, <laughs> telling all my buddies. Well, it's funny, too, because the things that I would have had no idea would help me out and in class because I, they were just classes that fit in my schedule or whatever. Like, I accidentally took all of the animation classes that Michigan had to offer just because it's the only thing that fit in my schedule with the newspaper. Mm -hmm. And I use that literally every day. And then, like, my paper engineering course, which is just, like, folding things, that ended up being really helpful and like, 
printing things and making brochures and making doing the measurements and who even knew see i was always uh i basically (laughs) learned how to use power tools with an art degree (laughs) yeah you know because you have to build your own canvases and stuff yeah that's cool people don't realize that so I obviously do a ton of research on everyone when I do these podcast episodes. And part of my research with you obviously includes looking at your LinkedIn profile. And I noticed something that was really <laughs> intriguing to me. My, and, my guess is it was a mistake because I am never on my LinkedIn. <laughs> oh, no, it's probably not. I mean, unless you completely made this up. But <laughs> But you interned at Complex Media? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so tell me about that because I'm I'm uh, I'm a pretty passionate consumer of like street fashion, sneakers, and music, and it kind of like sports, sports kind of inspires all of those things, which is which yeah. is really cool. And I'm a big fan of like Mark Echo. I've I've been reading his book and stuff. So tell us about that experience. Um, so I was always a huge complex fan. I think they do incredible work, and they're really ahead of the curve on a lot of things. And um, I'm also really into hip hop and R&B music. And um, so one of the articles that I read was about, uh, in Complex, was about my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. And I just thought it was like a brilliantly written article. And I just loved hearing about all the different things that went into writing it with Kanye. And I, I just thought it was a, a really well done thing. And I, I wrote the editor in chief who wrote it, Noah uh, Callahan Beaver, I think is his name. Now I'm, I'm blanking, but um, uh, I wrote him this really nice uh, email saying how much I liked it and how just kind of asking him all these questions. And then, he offered, he was like, yeah, if you ever want to come to Complex, we have internships. And so it was me choosing between a photography and design internship there. Um, And so I applied to both. They wouldn't let me do both at the same time. So I did, that summer I did a photo internship there. And then I did a design kind of internship part-time gig at this art magazine startup called Document Journal. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty incredible to see because we literally launched a magazine and it was really cool to kind of work with their founders. And uh, we did a launch at uh, Marc Jacobs Bookstore and I was the bouncer at the uh, opening party, which was really funny. I had so much power. And, um, but yeah, so that was a fun thing just to see um, how complex runs um, their magazine and how they have all these things going at once. And cause they have all these different blogs that they balance with the magazine and all their online content. And that was really awesome to see. Right. Cause they, they bought um, soul collector, I think, which is a yeah. sneaker magazine. And that was like one of the first, I think it was probably the first sneaker magazine ever. And I, you know, I didn't even know that they, that was owned by complex until like probably two years ago or something. Um, yeah. So they're really smart with that kind of branding that they have like two pins, two pins with four pins. It's four pins maybe. Oh yeah. <laughs> fashion. It's like the men's fashion thing. Yeah. And they have, um, I, now they're starting to do more sports stuff and, they're really smart. Yeah, I mean, I think how much is uh, 
how much does like Mark echoes? Is he like there on a day to day basis or what's, what's like his influence on, or is it just kind of run without him and he owns it? I think he just owns it. I mean, he had an office there. I remember, I feel like I, 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 it was so long ago. I feel like I yeah. might mess up some of the details, but I'm, hey, I'm I, bad about asking questions like 10 years back in, your, <laughs> in people's careers. <laughs> what I recall is, so we did like, I never met, I never saw Mark Echo there, but I remember from what I recall his office in the, in uh, the complex offices, he had like a basketball court and we did like one shoot thing there they had like a basketball court and this like incredible office and all this stuff, but I never, I never saw him there. So we did so, like a whiskey taste. Yeah. And so this is like, this is pre Red Sox photo intern, right? Yeah. This is in college. So this okay. is a but summer you had, spent you, you had been taking photos at the Michigan games at that point. Yeah. Okay. So but you're sort of I, like, I in, never really thought I would get into sports. I thought it would be more magazines or um, cause I was, I was so interested in uh, that side of things. Right. Um, Do you, like are you still into magazines and stuff? stuff? Huh? Are you still into magazines? I mean, Just I love inspiration them. and stuff like that. <laughs> I, I still follow complex. I still, um, I still, I love ESPN magazine. They're incredible. Yeah, it's, I, it's just, I, I think I look at things differently now because of my job, you know, I'm, Oh yeah, I am taking inspiration from like GQ and Esquire, and I, I always liked men's magazines, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm looking at it differently on how I can take what I'm looking at here and bringing it to what we're doing in our office. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know what it is about like men's magazines. It's like they're they're so different in terms of the design. Yeah, like, and I do respond. I've always really liked that kind of that style. And I, I think the I think ESPN magazine does it the best. Mixing kind of the art with that masculine feel and it's not so in your face like photo edits and we heard Chin talk about it at MLC Connect. Um just what goes into making their art look so beautiful. Yeah, that's a good point because uh, like sports design in general just and honestly, I think it's just because it's like the industry is so flooded with like 20 some year old males. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like crazy Photoshop. And I hate the term edits. Like it, it, it <laughs> edits has sort of become convoluted with graphic designer yeah. in, a, in a weird way. Like all, yeah, all these 15 sure. year old kids are like, I'm a sports editor. And I'm like, well, you know, to most people, sports editor means you write articles. <laughs> Or edit articles like it's yeah. not <laughs> right, right. But no, ESPN definitely walks walks that line very well. I actually, uh, every once in a while, I'll just take like trips to say a Barnes and Noble or something, and just yeah. look at the magazine racks, and I'll just buy magazines that I literally could care nothing about the content, just because like the design is so awesome. Yeah, we actually did a field trip. I decided after the season ended that we would. I, I didn't follow through on every week, but uh, that we would do field trips to get inspiration outside of the office. Um, and so our first was to Barnes and Noble and we bought all these magazines and <laughs> books awesome. and uh, tried to just get offline. I think that's my main thing is just trying to get outside of just the normal, uh, what everybody's looking at. 
Someone brought up, uh, I can't remember where I saw this at, but someone brought up something about like design books and magazines and stuff like that. And how, if you're looking at those for inspiration, there's, there's still a lot of people looking at it for inspiration, but it's not as many as say that are looking at like Behance and dribble. Yeah. So it's, it's, you're a little less likely to just rip things off, I guess, because like I said, there's just not millions upon millions of people looking at it because the demographics are a little more niche, I guess. Yeah, and I think the other thing that I'm trying to work on is making it so things aren't just like cool looking, but uh, have intention. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think that that gets a little hard in sports design in general because you, especially with baseball, because you're making so much stuff all the time, and it's easy to just like put an effect on something or. Uh, use a texture do do whatever just to kind of make it look cool but the thing that i'm trying to think about now is how to kind of bring it back to boston bring it back to the red sox bring it back to a more specific grounded thing so you can kind of see the influence and the design choices a little bit more yeah absolutely and i think that's that, to me, when you do things like that, I mean, you're always going to have those instances where you're, you just have to, you, the time is of the essence and you yeah. have to crank something out and throw a texture on or whatever. But when you do sort of splash in every once in a while those um, conceptual pieces that are thought about, it's, it's so awesome. Like it's, it's, a, it's a pleasurable experience, I think, for, for people because the ones that get it, it's like, wow, man, there's thought behind this. And, yeah. and I, to me, that's also why I really think that minimalist design has really taken off in things like these fashion magazines and stuff like that that we're talking about because yeah. it's it's sort of like the removal of things. <laughs> it's yeah, easy to sure. just like jam pack all the white space with information, but what's really hard is to like take things away. For sure. I, and I think that that is it, hard in sports design too because the other thing that you have to balance the kind of uh, art with is sales messaging. And so it's hard to like, for a lot of things we make to balance that kind of minimalist, like taking away and also having all the information you need because when it comes down to it, we're trying to sell tickets. Right. And so you have to, you kind of have to balance it all and make sure that you know why you're making something, but it still isn't awful to look at. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what a lot of, I think there's a misconception with people that sort of make these really cool art pieces of sports or like of athletes and stuff. Yeah. And, 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 they're, and they're often saying, why aren't professional teams doing stuff like this? And, it, and it's like, well, this doesn't really, you had no objective here other than to make something cool, right? Like you're not trying to yeah. sell something. And even when you look at professional sports, I mean, the face of your athlete is the selling point. You know, that's mm-hmm. like your product. So you don't want to like cover their faces with like skulls and whatever, you know, whatever, yeah. just because it looks cool. Yeah. And I, I also think that the best design is design you don't notice most of the time. So I have no problem just putting up a beautiful photo if it's a beautiful photo. I don't think you need to always put a bunch of stuff all over it and put a filter on it or do whatever because 
sometimes people just want to see Mookie Betts doing something awesome, and you don't need to change that if it's an awesome picture of him doing something cool. Right. I mean, the, the photography tells part of the story. I think you guys and, um, and Miami Dolphins <laughs> both do that yeah. really well. Which and funny enough, didn't you? Weren't you? Weren't you all each on a shared panel like two years ago or something? Or was that different? Maybe you were. Uh, I, I was, but our photographers didn't actually come. Uh, I just kind of spoke for them. But uh, I think I have some street cred on that because I was a photographer. Right. <laughs> so I think it's still okay to okay to do. And I still I still work with our photographers on all our um, photo shoots and. I'm out there taking pictures sometimes when I'm needed, but usually I I like to just be at my desk now outside of the rain and (laughs) the heat. I'm better inside. (laughs) I hear that. But you actually, I actually wrote something down uh, that you stated at MLC in 2016 during your presentation. And you had mentioned something, something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, (laughs) that you shouldn't just think about social media with photography, that you, you should make each shoot count. Can you elaborate on that? For sure. Um, Yeah, no, I think that's the biggest. We're actually getting better with that with time, too. Um, But one of our biggest uh, hurdles that we have to jump over is access, which I think a lot of people don't realize. Um, If you're outside of the sports world, they're like, well, why can't you just go up to uh, JBJ and ask him to do whatever. And you, you can do an extent, but these guys, their main focus is baseball. So you have to kind of use whatever photo shoots you have and get the most out of them. Uh, so one thing you do at spring training, you are using all year long. So you have to think really strategically in that, but I think you have to, uh, take opportunities when you can too. Like this year, we were doing a lot more just kind of impromptu photo shoots uh, because our photographers got better relationships with the players and the players really wanted stuff to put up on their Instagrams and they, they like getting their picture taken, so why not take advantage? And so throughout the season, we were able to do some cool, like we just set up a backdrop in the family room and any guy who came in, we would do a cool black and white portrait or... Uh, we just set up in the dugout during BP and had a, I was holding a little poster board and we did some really nice, uh, like close up shots of the players and you being to being able to use those for stuff that's, um, different billboards we have or, uh, things in the ballpark that we update throughout the season and, uh, different stuff like that. Just getting, being able to use them not only on social one time, but putting them in our brochures, putting them in our out-of-home advertisements in the ballpark and uh, being able to use those photos for more than just one thing is Mm -hmm. pretty important for us. Well, and there's actually something strategic about what you said there too as well, because you're, you're making... You're you're essentially making it convenient for the players, as opposed to it being like a part of their job to show up at this time and be there for this shoot. And yeah. and and you're essentially going to say, "Hey, we're going to be here. You're going to be there. If you want, pop over, and we'll make something happen. But if not, no big deal." Which I think is cool. Yeah, and I mean, there are certain players who will do it, and certain players who won't. But I think it's good just to be available for our guys and kind of be that resource to them because 
they want pictures just like anyone else wants pictures of them looking cool. And so we should provide it if we can. So let's talk about, obviously I follow the Red Sox on social media and honestly, full disclosure, I'm not even a huge baseball guy, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, I did <laughs> there you go. That's why we needed to talk to each other. I didn't, uh, I didn't grow up playing and, 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 but I do appreciate that there's a lot of visual history and, uh, baseball mm-hmm. fans seem to be really into like the ephemera and, and that type of stuff, which is cool. Um, but one thing I noticed about you guys is you, you like you said you try to look for inspiration in other places but you, you're the work of the Red Sox doesn't really look like things in other sports because I can tell that you really focus on things like brand consistency clean typography uh, compositional hierarchy and then even just things as simple as like deliberately cropped photography so I'm curious can you talk to a little bit about this is this is this deliberate? I mean, are you guys pushing that in your creative department and discussing those things and being intentional about that stuff? I mean, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing with social media for me, and it's actually kind of similar to working at a newspaper, is just like every day you have a new opportunity to do better. Mm-hmm. And because it, it kind of, the old stuff gets lost in your feed and you can if you see a mistake or a different thing that you made a few days ago, you can fix it. And that's, that's really cool because you can keep evolving your work, but I think it is good to be grounded in a consistent look and feel. Um, but yeah, I'm always, I'm my biggest critic and uh, I'm always trying to look at our stuff with a really discerning eye and, and make sure that, those kind of design principles are at the forefront and uh, gravitating more to that clean cut typography and, but not being afraid to kind of change things if need be, because I think especially on social, I think sometimes we are a little too, uh, especially in sports. I don't think, I think there are certain things that you should definitely keep consistent. Like, colors and fonts and general look but I think it's totally okay to experiment and totally fun to just do something that's completely outside of your traditional look and feel and just put it out there and see if people respond Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think but yeah so I think it's a it's always a balance but yeah I, I definitely pay attention to all that stuff and uh if I see something that we've put up that it doesn't always meld with the look and feel that we've established. I, I do. Uh, I don't, I, yeah, I, I guess I, I want to fix it and make it better next time around. Do you, do you pay much attention to like user interfaces and things like that in apps? Cause it feels like some of, especially your Instagram stories have almost like an interface feel to them. Um, yeah, I, I think the Instagram stories, uh, I'm still kind of struggling with those, to be honest, because when you look through Instagram stories, I, I feel like the really produced, like more interface looking things, they have their place, but I kind of gravitate more toward the stuff that's like taken with your phone and has the fun, uh, like using the design features that Instagram uses. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do wonder like what, uh, is the most successful thing to do there. And if, do you have any thoughts on that? Because, yeah, I, I don't know that everything needs to be so designed. And I have right. actually 
thought about that as of late. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I never really thought about that. Of course, I'm not producing Instagram stories on, on a day-to-day <laughs> basis for anyone other than, actually, I don't produce them at all. I, I use Snapchat. Um, but do you like, you look at Instagram stories though, right? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, I, I think that it probably varies. I mean, you'll see like Adidas sometimes do like a campaign and it's like all put together. And Red Bull does this a lot too, where they'll, you know, tap the tap the phone 30 times really quick and it sort of like pieces together this thing so it's it's cool uh when it's when i think it's done well executed well i think you can probably tell when people are trying too hard you know yeah and and it's like you could probably just just do the raw phone footage and throw some emoji on there and because for me like all right i guess it's situational right yeah so as a fan it's situational like if you win the World Series and you're back in there, I want to see just like raw footage, right? Like yeah. Behind the scenes. But if it's like a campaign and like there's a special event, I don't know, it's like kids night or whatever, I think it's okay to put together like that campaign type of stuff, more polished stuff. But when it comes to behind the scenes, you know, I would like it to be raw and, and realistic and see like what's really happening. Yeah. So it's and, probably no perfect answer, right? Like it's just situation. No, I, and I, I agree with you, but yeah, I, I think it, it is an interesting thing just to think about like what's worth spending our time on is making those cool animations for Instagram sc- stories always worth it. I don't know. Like, because I think what ends up happening, at least for me, when I'm on Instagram stories is if something's overproduced and it feels like an ad, I just want to move on to the next thing. Yeah, very true. Yeah, so, it's, <clears throat> yeah it's, it's an interesting balance and it's something that we're kind of working on. Well, and so from an animation perspective, let me ask you about this. Like you, I think you guys, animation is obviously big right now in sports. It's like the new yeah. thing. Everybody wants to do it. Let's hire people. Let's hire motion designers in-house which is cool um but it almost feels like you guys were one of the first to really utilize this at least in from what i've seen so can you talk about just the role of animation in like your creative strategy and and obviously the usage of of gifs do you say gif or gif i'm just curious i definitely say gif okay but i know it's wrong i know it's supposed to be gif yeah like apparently the guy that created it right he says it's supposed to be gif but it's like you can't you can't do that. That's it's community owned at this point. But yeah, yeah can you just kind of touch on your animation strategy? Uh, even as even as so far as to say, like, do you guys even have animators in house, or are you doing this yourself? What are you making these things in? Um, well, we do do it all um, in our creative services department. Um, our creative service. So we have a video productions team and a creative services team. So video productions will do all the in-game video boards and fascia boards and all that and doing those animations. But we do all the GIFs and animation ourselves that you see on social media. So um, we, that's one of the main things we make sure when we're hiring is making sure that our designers, um, are well-versed in After Effects and can kind of hit the ground running when they get here. Um, because it is really important on social to have that kind of animation background. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it just started because I did have that experience in school and uh, I was making animations and 
we wanted to do reaction gifts. And so figuring out ways to make it so they were easy to produce and not just um, not taking forever to make each thing and figuring out the situations and designing for them and continuously updating. But yeah, I, I think it was just kind of a something that we had on our team that we just utilized and well I so I'm uh, I told you before this podcast started I'm 34 which is like definitely no spring chicken <laughs> but I don't feel like I'm very old either uh, but, yeah, but I am like right, young yeah well I'm in that little like that middle area where there's I've you're still a millennial yeah, well, see, that's the thing. There's like these articles floating around where it's like sometimes I'm a millennial and sometimes I'm like this weird middle ground where <laughs> I remember Oregon Trail on the computer. <laughs> I remember Oregon Trail. We played that. <laughs> okay, well, I feel I feel pretty good then. I remember typing on a black screen with like the green words. <laughs> we had that too. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I remember in elementary school and they gave all the... Uh, elementary school students Emacs and it was a black screen with green type but you could change you could change the font and so I was into that yeah well so <laughs> what I'm getting at with this is that anyway go you, on you I mean you're going to clearly remember there was an era of like flash right like flash yeah. was a big hot thing anime it was that was the way you animated like straight up yeah and we, we learned that in college too but okay that was going to be one of my questions like did you actually pursue flash or was it uh after effects um i always use after effects i, I just never liked flash i think mm -hmm. we learned it like one time and i was like this isn't for me but uh yeah and after effects we have a ton of plugins we have uh, uh a, a lot of things that just make it easier on us so mm -hmm. i can make a gif and like because after every game we do um if we win, we do a win, a custom win gift with uh, pictures from the games, mm -hmm. and so just make I, we can do a gift in like ten minutes, and it, trying to make it as easy as possible on us, I think is is important. Right. So, but, so but what what I find interesting is we're kind of like Flash was dead for well, basically Steve Jobs killed Flash. Yeah. <laughs> we came out and said we're not putting on the iPhone because it's dead. Uh, and then you, we saw things slow down, but now it's picking back up again. Like animation is huge. We're seeing animation. I've read articles about how animation, just motion, I guess it's weird like to, the nomenclature is a bit weird because like is motion the same thing as animation, right? Like I've seen yeah. motion designers and animators, you're thinking, I think some people traditionally think literally like someone making a Pixar movie or whatever. Yeah, and it is different. I. I could definitely not do what those Pixar guys do. It is just like beyond uh, my patience level. But in college, right. I would do that kind of thing. But it's just, yeah, I, I think you're right that I'm definitely more emotion designer than anything. Right. But, but what I, uh, there's, so you remember the Google rebrand? Yeah. Um, and then they, like, brand identities are incorporating motion into their visual identity now because we're at a place where devices, everybody's on devices. I mean, screens are everywhere. Eventually our refrigerators are going to be screens, our washing machines and all this stuff. So it's motion has become a big part of just design in general. So would you recommend that designers pursue motion, at least, you know, very basic understanding of the principles of it 
I mean, for sure. I think, I think in general, like creatives need to arm themselves with as much knowledge that as they can, because like as an in-house designer, I, I know how important it is to have those uh, wide range of skills because you want to be able to provide all the services you can and not have to go to other people. And so having that design knowledge and photography knowledge and motion skills and illustrations, like as much as you can, I, I think is kind of where the future is because you do have to make so much stuff so quickly and to not have to, to be kind of a one-stop shop is so important, I think. In, so uh, yeah. I, I love this mentality and I agree with you. I'm, I'm sort of in that wheelhouse. I mean, I'm like, you know, I learned Adobe audition to do this podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but do you fear, and this is, this is a legit question to you cause I'm curious your take on this. Do you fear being like a kind of a jack of all trades, master of none? Cause that's like something yeah. that I fear a lot too. No, I mean for sure. But, and then again, yeah. I, I feel that way sometimes, but then you also fear like, okay, I'm in baseball and I'm not designing for apps or websites. Like, is that going to hinder me in the future? And thinking that I'm not skilled enough is a thing that I, I think too. But I, I don't know that I, I necessarily worry about kind of spreading myself too thin in that because I think if you have an eye, you have an eye and right. it doesn't really matter the medium in which you use it. You right, can, like there are and, there are fundamental principles across every good typography is good typography, no matter if it's in motion yeah. or print or digital or whatever. Yeah, that's kind of what my thought is, and it it's it's not like I'm wasting a lot of time like learning these different programs or doing whatever. It's just kind of whatever medium fits the project. So it, I use animation when you kind of want to fit more information into a story, and. I, I like animation more than video because I can kind of determine how everything looks and from start to finish instead of using different clips and different things that already exist. But yeah, I think it, it just, I think it's good to just have kind of as much in your arsenal as you can. And I, I, I don't really worry about um, kind of spreading myself too thin in that. Have you happened to ever hear of the term T-shaped designer? Let's here. I haven't. No. Okay. So are you familiar with the firm IDEO, a design firm? IDEO? Yes, for sure. Yeah. So IDEO, obviously they're an innovation design firm. They do pretty much design across many disciplines, but they're, uh, they're one of their founders sort of coined this term. I think it was them that, that did this. It might've been someone else, but it's kind of in that same vein, one of those innovation design firms. But anyway, a T-shaped person is a, a designer that goes really deep in one discipline, so like the stem of the T, and then yeah. they're dangerous enough or knowledgeable enough in a variety of disciplines, which is like the top part of the T. And they talk about how that's the people that they want to hire. They don't want to hire someone that is, say, only does user interfaces and that's all they care about and they have no other interests. They want to hire someone that it, basically like you that has is is very competent in you know, say graphic design and composition and that type of stuff. And then, but yet you span across multiple disciplines. That might yeah. be something worth looking into. I'll see if I can dig up some articles or anything on that for, for you. To look hey. at. I think every, see when I talk to people like yourself, it's, um, it, it's cool because 
I think we, we have a lot in common in that we have a lot of interests. Yeah. And so for me, I'm, I'm, for me, I'm just a curious, I think good creative people are very just, they're just curious. Right. And you just want to keep learning and keep doing things. There's actually a, um, uh, a quote by, I was just reading this the other day by Henry Ford and it's, I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like anybody who stops learning is old, whether you're 20 years old or 80 years old. Yeah. And then anyone who keeps learning is young. Right. And if you think about people that say, go to school, get a degree, and then they just exist <laughs> for yeah. like 40 years on their job. To me, I'm like, that's a worthless, that's, that's one of those instances where experience is worthless. Uh, and then, but, but the good thing about the creative world is that there are all of these opportunities to continue to learn. And we basically, you have to continue to learn or you become a dinosaur quick. It might be. Yeah. That's the thing I'm most scared about is stopping learning and getting too comfortable because when you see people like Todd Radom, he's never stopped learning ever. And that's why he's still so relevant. And cause I get scared about like being that old lady in the office who, just isn't you know isn't with it is it doesn't know the latest programs is talking about the golden years of design or whatever right but i think you always have to be curious and keep up and uh not be afraid to kind of start from scratch sometimes Right, I agree. I mean, I've seen this happen when I worked out of school, when outside of college. My first job was at this place called Host Communications, which was a big sports marketing firm that basically they were the college sports marketing firm. And what happened was a, a year after I left, IMG bought them, so they became IMG College. But anyhow, mm-hmm. there were people in there that had been working there for years, and they just, you could tell they were good at one point in time, but they just didn't change with either yeah. the style of how things were looking or kind of keep up or even just software they were still doing things where i mean the chances are if you're taking if you have to do something over and over and over in one of these softwares and it's annoying chances are that with each new version it's been automated right like you don't have yeah. you almost have to even just learn what are the new aspects of photoshop or whatever for just autom- automation yeah but from a yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Sorry. go on. I, 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 the other thing that I, I think is important is not getting cynical about those things because I, I do think there are a lot of creatives who get cynical about, uh, well, anyone can be a photographer these days or anyone can be a designer with this, this, and this being automated or whatever. And I think being confident enough and knowing that it, you still have to have a creative vision, you still have to... Uh, look at things you're still going to look at things differently from a person who just picks up an iPhone and uses portrait mode you know right and so I, I think just being confident that that kind of foundation is there and that you don't be afraid of the the new stuff yeah I agree just, and I think yeah. if you it's it's a dangerous thing to look at the what right so I mean if yeah. that's the case like a doctor would be like there are too many doctors in the world I'll never make it, right? Yeah. Um, but you almost have to look at the why. Like, why are you doing this, right? Yeah, well, you for care sure. About it. You're passionate about it. You, you obviously have a, an opinion that you want to share with the world, and how creative people do that is through their work. Yeah. What? So, uh, your title, official title, um, <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, is senior designer and brand specialist. But it almost you're. It almost seems like you're a creative director. Are you the most senior creative? So the. 
way our department works is, um, so when I started, I was the only creative person in marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got in to the Red Sox and there was no style guide. There was no way to do a design request. There was no anything. And this was my first job really outside of college. That wasn't an internship. And I didn't have anyone under me and it was just kind of like hitting the ground running. And, um, yeah, I, I remember like going to AIGA events that were meant for students and it was like to get, to be paired up with like a mentor or whatever. And everyone there would be like asking me, so like, how do I get a job? And I'm like, well, how do you set up a design request system? Because I'm, you know, like just asking, <laughs> asking these like, how do I do my job? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, or like, what does your style guide look like? And what do you, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so, but I think once I got in, um, people realized how nice it is just to have a person there to design stuff for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and our um, CMO uh, made it, uh, priority to start a creative services department within marketing. Mm-hmm. And so we brought over um, Tim Heinzelman, who's my boss. And he's our director of creative services over from video productions. Uh, he's been working for the Red Sox for like, I don't know how many years, but a long time. And so he became my boss instead of just the uh, director of marketing. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, but I have a ton of freedom. I am doing the art direction for the Red Sox. Tim kind of just manages, uh, me. And also he does a lot of work with Fenway sports management and kind of dealing with a lot of the managerial stuff. And you, and we, we collaborate on, creative direction all the time but he leaves most of that decision making to me and he deals with all the administration stuff for the most part do you get to uh, speaking you mentioned fenway sports do you get to cross over and do anything for other properties like liverpool um i don't personally but like we help with um the different like decks for liverpool and all of that stuff and um, we're always available to help them out, but it, I, I don't do a ton with that. We do more just uh, when I'm working with FSM, it's more just for events in Fenway Park, just that kind of stuff. Because mm-hmm. Liverpool has their own designers. Gotcha. So, did you um, did you meet you know Michelle Cruz by any chance? I mean, you probably know of her. She's the senior art director for the Red Bulls. Did you I meet her at MLC? Saw Have you met her yet? podcast with her, but I didn't okay. listen. I need to introduce you to. I'm so and sorry. <laughs> listen, I need to introduce you to, and here's why. This is, so both of you kind of come from this world where you weren't really into sports. Yeah. And you work in sports. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, she's, she's super passionate about, I mean, she, she grew up, uh, I, think she, I think she was a military kid. I want to say cool. maybe um, I, I've, I can't remember exactly. I've talked to so many people now, <laughs> but <laughs> she, I know that she grew up in, I think maybe Germany, uh, but she, she was really into art and architecture. And then she got, she was also into motion. And so she yeah. was a motion designer at ESPN. That was like her first 
sort of job. And you guys have so many things in common. I think you guys would would really get along. Um, and, that, and obviously, now you're working in sports. I'll, I'll, I'll make an email. I'm all about sliding into people's DMs. That is. Oh well, here's the thing. thing: you can't slide into hers because she's not on Twitter. <laughs> oh my goodness! What is she thinking? Uh, I, she's on Instagram though. So so. Uh, oh, I can slide into those DMs. Yeah, I'll yeah. Do um, I'll, uh, I'll 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 make an email introduction and and then right. you guys can chat. But it's, it's weird because you you sort of think. Um, like I'm, I'm kind of, uh, well, I'm, I am an outsider to the sports industry, I guess, because I'm not working inside a, a team, but I, t- because of what I do, I tend to know all these people and, and meet all these people. And then you automatically yeah. assume everybody knows each other. Right. And it's not that way at all. Like the baseball people, I mean, to my understanding, really, you guys all started to kind of know each other through MLC. Yeah. A couple years ago. I, I remember when, cause I, um, the only reason I knew about MLC was because I was in, um, LA for, uh, the Adobe max conference. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, I want to see what Dodger stadium is like. And usually when I go to a new city, I like to, um, go to the ballpark and meet the designers and kind of see what they're all about. And so I met Ross there and I, I, he was telling me that there's a, like sports design conference and I was like what like, this is like right when I started and I was still trying to figure out how to, my, how to do my job and I was like there are other people who do this right <laughs> did you go to the first one I wasn't at the first one the the first one I went to was uh last year or two years ago right or two years ago yeah because yeah. that's where I, 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 I met, that's where yeah. I met you yeah yeah so um yeah and the reason I spoke is because I did the same thing at the Mets where I just uh, met up <laughs> with those guys and they were like, yeah, you should speak. <laughs> right. What's but, it's, uh, Things like that are awesome. I mean, they it's it's continuing to grow and, and that whole crew is doing a good job with that. And obviously this year, I'm hoping I can make it. We talked about possibly why I may not be able to make it before the show, but <laughs> yeah. if I do, I definitely got to get you in, in the picture because to put... To put like the physical presence of people in the room, I mean, you're this is episode 93, right? Wow. Not all of those are interviews, obviously. Probably mm-hmm. 70% of them are interviews. But to put the people in, a, in like a picture and to be like, holy crap, man, I've talked to all these people on a podcast. It's the but weird, it's the I craziest thing ever. Like, what you're doing is so cool because it just you have an excuse just to talk to all these people. And I think that. I like to use just like working for the Red Sox as that excuse for me. And I love just to email people and being like, Hey, I work for the Red Sox. Like I just have a question or like I'm in town. Like, do you want to show me around? Or like, uh, I, I I think just having that little excuse to get yourself out there a little bit more is so important to have. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And I was never going to have, um, I'm just not a, I don't know how to sort of say this. I'm just not like uh, the type of person that can just go work for a place. <laughs> I mean, but I'm a bit of a, I just, I, I like to get up at 10 AM. I like to stay up late. I like to do what I want and control my schedule. And it's, I just have like an entrepreneurial mindset, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, I think that I mean, you can also good. have that mindset in house. I mean, there are some, you know, there are ways to do that. Like, I mean, even you like pushing creatively, um, it, you can, you can have, 
variations of that mindset in-house. But this was definitely a way for me to meet people and say hello and hopefully have something interesting to talk about as opposed to just like I'm some random freelance graphic designer. Oh, you want to get in the sports industry? Oh, cool. Like thousands of other people do too. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that uh, it's good to have that entrepreneurial spirit though and have it and because we need people who are working in house just as much as we need people who are freelancing and right. And that's not that to say that it's not that, that a person could even be both, right? Like there are plenty of people that are working in house and they're launching side projects and stuff. I mean, I think yeah. about Bethany Heck, who's a friend of mine. She's a super talented yeah. designer. She launches those side projects all the time. Now she's doing like a font review journal, which is really. I know. Cool. I've seen it. It's beautiful. Yeah, um, but I, I want to talk about so the fall of twenty sixteen. David Ortiz, aka Big Poppy, retired. Yeah. Right, and um, and you kind of came. Was that your idea? You came up with this idea for yeah. the basically it's thirty for thirty four by thirty four. I'll let you talk about the project. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what it was and sort of where you came up with the idea for it and that type of thing? Yeah. Um, so we were in a meeting and we had these digital billboards that they were giving to us for free. And I, I think they had like five maybe that they were going to give to us. And they were like, what do we do with these billboards? And people were coming up with the ideas. And then I was like, can we get more? <laughs> and um, so I had the idea. Of, uh, at, at first it was going to be 34 designers just designing for those five billboards and it would be rotating through. But then Clear Channel gave us all of their inventory on uh, the Mass Pike, and we were able to have 34 billboards, individual billboards for 34 designers, and that were celebrating David Ortiz. And the only stipulation is that you just had to have a 34 in it. And you made two of them, which was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I actually made three, I think. You did? did? Yeah, I think I did make three. Oh my gosh, and we only used two. I feel so bad. No, I think you used all of them. (laughs) Oh, well, then there was the mind. one that was great. like the 20, it was like all 19 fonts overlaid over top of each other. Yeah. And I know you used that one. And then you used the, there was one where it was just like him kind of standing in the light, walking away, which that one really didn't have a concept. It was just like, let's, I guess, try to throw one in that's like just cool textures and I know stuff. you did one that was a Dominican one. He posted it himself. Yeah, that was really cool. That was the third <laughs> one that I did. And, and I, I wasn't sure how that one would come off. But when he posted it, like that just makes it so much more special because it's like, yeah. you know, he, it spoke to him. And you kind of go through and read the comments and a lot of people were coming like, this is my favorite one, you know, like, so that's. Yeah. That's awesome. But yeah, so I think I came up with the idea and then I had to figure out how to get 34 artists to agree to do it. <laughs> and, um, so that was a pretty huge undertaking and we had so little time, but I was so impressed by how many people wanted to be a part of the project and wanted to help out. And I, there were some people, I, I, I tried to go for the people who were just huge sports fans and just wouldn't want to be a part of it. And the people who might need the exposure. And I felt bad cause we didn't have money behind it, but, uh, I was just so impressed that people would help me out with that. And I, it was, that was also a really great experience and getting, um, to meet, uh, these different artists and have them be a part of it. Like John Contino, he made one and he's honestly like the coolest guy ever. And, yeah, and he's a hardcore Yankees guy. Too, hardcore so. Yankees fan <laughs> made us a billboard. So, so nice. Um, but I think I recommended somebody from my community pain. Yeah. Pain he profit, just has a right? really cool style. 
Yeah, super cool style. And then, um, yeah, you suggested a bunch of people. and But it, it was just so cool to talk to different artists and different people who aren't necessarily in the sports world, not the people who I see every single day mm-hmm. so or talk to every single day. So that was such a cool experience. And I think it, it turned out awesome. Like when you were driving down uh, the Mass Pike, it was just like, it was so cool just to see all these different people coming together and making this thing for Ortiz. Yeah, it's and awesome. I- and and it seems like just for you personally, it, it got some pretty good publicity. Like, I mean, I saw it on Working Not Working, which is a pretty valuable freelance website that's really hard to get into. Uh, and- yeah, yeah, because we had some of their artists do it. Yeah, and so didn't you, and you, you were also to sort of cultivate some relationships that were pretty interesting as well, for one being... Martellus Bennett, right? So how did that connection happen? Oh, uh, well, so I I messaged him like before I even thought about this project um, just because I read an article that he wrote for the Players' Tribune mm-hmm. and it was just so well done. And then I was like, this guy is not like a regular athlete. Like there's right. no way. And so I looked at his, um, at his, uh, Instagram and I was like this guy is my like creative soulmate right now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like literally he was doing all this food art and I love food art like the gummy bear <laughs> stuff yeah. and like that's kind of he, it was just like all my aesthetic like I just love uh, just bright colors and he just had such a creative vision that you because you'll hear about athletes being artists, but it's usually they just like to paint on the side, or right. they, you know, and it's usually have, crappy, right? Like it's not good most of the yeah. Time. But Whereas this guy's like really legit talented, talented yeah. <laughs> and um, so I sent him a message. I remember I started it like from one creative in sports to another, and he was going to be playing for the Pats at the time. Mm-hmm. So I just messaged him, and we like went back and forth, and we were like, yeah, we should totally like talk shop sometime because. Because he, whenever he goes to a new place, like meets the different illustrators, meets like different people, creatives around town, because mm-hmm. he's really good with that kind of stuff. And then I did the thirty-four for thirty-four project, and I just asked him, thinking like, "There's no way." And then, yeah, he did one, and it was so nice. Yeah, that's and, super cool. Yeah, and so yeah, he made one for us, and then I asked him to go to the conference with us, and I think everyone really uh was able to see what a crazy talented guy he is and how smart he is Uh, he was a home run i mean no i hate to use a baseball pun but like (laughs) seriously like i knew that he was doing he was dabbling in some creative stuff before i think i read it or something and saw something but i didn't know to what level and also didn't know to what level his passion was for it and the way that he spoke was that football is his side gig yeah, for sure. <laughs> Which just makes it really unfair for pretty much everyone else because we're, this is like our main gig and he's just, he's basically better than everybody He's else. better in every way. He's so <laughs> fucking cool. <laughs> and then he's like also an awesome football player. So it's, and he's, and he's like, and the crazy thing is, is so he's a competitor. I mean, you know, like I think yeah. anybody that watches football, they know like, dude, he's, he's, he's hardcore out there. And, but just to have him be a creative and then to hear a story about how like he used to, um, he doesn't want to, uh, he didn't want to give off the impression that he was smart or that he was a creative person when he was younger. Cause he was afraid like what his athlete friends would think. 
And I was just, I was yeah. blown away by that because I guarantee you that that if and I recommended a book to him there that I hope that he ends up reading. It's it's called A Whole New Mind, uh, which mm-hmm. I'll put in the show notes for people listening. But basically, it talks about how we're creativity is pushed out of us as we get older, right? And yeah. Like every, you know, when you have one of your friends, like, I don't know, maybe it's even your mom or whatever. And they're just like, I'm not a creative person. It's like, no, really you are. Every person, creativity is like an inherent trait that every human being has. Yeah, for sure. But for some reason we're told that we should like go be in sales or whatever. And it becomes this thing that's not cool. But I think what people don't understand too is that, I mean, music is creativity, right? Like everyone likes music. Yeah. So like at what point it's like, it's just art creativity for some reason that gets like this weird bias of like, Oh, that's the weird kids, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I think the most inspiring thing, like talking to Marty is like how he just, he has, there's no real like reason. No one had to tell him to do anything that he's doing. And I think that that's something as a creative that like I used to just like set up food and take create fun pictures just for for fun and I I used to do art just for fun and I feel like what ends up happening when you work in creative is that you just are doing these projects and you have all this stuff and everything has to be for money and everything has to you know uh be because someone asked for it and I think it's really cool that he just kind of comes up with these projects and does it because he has this vision and that's been really cool to see. Yeah, I agree. And and for me personally, I mean, as a dad, like the way that he sort of pushes his, he facilitates creativity with his daughter. Yeah, is like a hu- is a huge deal. But anyway, so I, I don't want to. I don't want. I know you got to get back to work. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I really appreciate <laughs> you, uh, honestly, rescheduling this a couple of times due to sicknesses and different things on my end. <laughs> Thanks so much for your flexibility. But I do want to ask you to leave the audience with with one thing, and okay. because we talked about sports design specifically being almost like an echo chamber and people looking at the same things, same Behance and whatever. Where what? what who are artists or designers or photographers that inspire you or creatives that are outside the sports industry that people can maybe look, look to for inspiration? I, I love refinery refinery 29 stuff. Mm-hmm. I think they do incredible work and um, they work with a ton of like women illustrators and women photographers that I think it's really inspiring to see because when you're in the sports world, literally every illustrator is a guy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So I find them to be really inspiring. Um, Just outside of sports. I, I follow, I follow a ton of people, but I think Tad Carpenter who is outside of sports, but also inside of sports, he Mm -hmm. does incredible work. Um, He's an incredible illustrator. Have you heard of him? He did some oh, stuff yeah, for the Royals recently. Yeah. yeah, a Kansas City guy, I think. Yeah, he's a huge Kansas City guy. Yeah. Um, I, and, and, and I mean, supr- I mean, this might surprise you, but I know exactly about Refinery29. I followed the founder on Instagram. Yeah. Like her stuff's awesome. I just, creative businesses in general are, and creative entrepreneurs are something that I love, right? So no matter yeah. what the content is, I, I think that we can glean things from different, 
areas. Even, I mean, I'm not necessarily interested in the things that they put in the content that they post. Um, but just, just like looking at how they understand branding, right. And just creative content. Yeah. I, I think, yeah. Complex does a good job with that too. And I just like, looking outside of sports, I think is super important and just uh, like paying attention to how people are able to brand different things, because I think it is easy, especially when when you're working for a a team that has recognition to kind of be like, well, that's kind of our all covered because people like the Red Sox, no matter what I do. Right. (laughs) And so it's good to look at different (laughs) businesses like that. And that depends so much on creative to kind of, set their voice, you know? Yeah. And honestly, I think that it pushes you as a creative, right? Because you're, I could just imagine it would be easy to get stagnant at a sports team because like you said, it doesn't matter if you take a picture of like a rock on the ground, Red Sox fans are going to like it if it comes from that account. (laughs) Yeah. But, and it is funny because that is freeing in a way because you can mess up and like make something that isn't the best and put out stuff. You're like, Oh God, like two weeks later, because you just, you know, you've grown since then. (laughs) But, uh, yeah. So that's freeing in a way, but also it, it is a, a huge opportunity to make these big campaigns and do these big things and kind of set a creative vision for your fans and knowing that they're going to care about it because they love the Red Sox. That's awesome. Well, listen, where can people support your work, uh, follow you online and that type of thing? You can follow me at, at Marissa McLean. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's, awesome. that's where I'm at. <laughs> and then Red Sox creative services is sort of the portfolio of, yeah, yeah, we have redsoxcreativeservices.com that you can look at what we're working on. Awesome. Well, thanks a ton for taking time to come aboard, Marissa. Looking right, forward to seeing you. you at MLC again in the future, hopefully, hopefully this summer. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again, Marissa. My next guest is tentative as of now, so nothing is concrete, but I'm attempting to secure an interview with Tom Bookwalter. If you're not familiar with Tom Bookwalter, he is the graphic designer that designed the Kansas State Athletics logo. Uh, he Here's the catch. His agreement with K-State includes a percentage of the licensing for 70 years after his death. So basically... He, sh- he should be doing pretty well considering that they're a big Nike school and their football program has grown tremendously. It's a very interesting and beneficial way for a designer to do a contract. So my goal is to chat with Tom about this and how he created this particular legacy project that will exist and support his family until long after his death. I'll place an article in the show notes for those of you that are unfamiliar with Tom and this particular project. So here's hoping we can land him as I know he is in his seventies and enjoying life in rural Kansas. So hopefully more on that soon. Big thanks again to Marissa McLean for taking time to come aboard the podcast. As she mentioned, you can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Marissa McLean. And then the Red Sox accounts are, of course, at Red Sox, wherever you view social media, where you can see what her team at Red Sox Creative Services make. If you're interested in hearing more Makers of Sport episodes, head over to makersofsport.com slash episodes to check out previous interviews or listen to 
halftime episodes where I discuss business, entrepreneurship, freelance, and more in the sports industry. Those halftime episodes since episode 65 have been available to paid community members only. If you want to support the podcast and access that additional content, you can join the community at makersofsport.com slash community, where you'll have access to things like private Q&As with future former and special guests, Google Hangouts, as well as interact, share feedback, and build relationships with like-minded professionals in the live chat. All community content that is live is recorded and available to you at any time you join, including those private Q&As. In addition, community members get an opportunity to take part in the high school project, which is a pro bono branding project that we are taking part in for underfunded high school athletic programs around the U.S. More on that particular initiative can be found in episode 20, I'm sorry, episode 75 called Donating Your Creativity. We have actually selected a school in Houston that we are going to help out after the Houston flood. So, Uh, Be looking for some of that. I'll definitely post on Twitter when any of that launches. And if you want to work on that, then join the community, makersofsport.com slash community. If you get value from the content coming from this podcast or its outlets in social media, email, or other areas, including Snapchat takeovers, then I ask that you please consider supporting the show fiscally by voting with your hard-earned dollars and joining the community. In exchange for that fiscal support, there will be ever-changing premium content and a network of like-minded professional and business savvy creatives in the sports industry for you to be interacting with. In regards to the newsletter, you can get podcast show notes delivered directly to your inbox as well as receive weekend reads, a weekly newsletter where I write exclusive content and share things I'm reading, things I find interesting or things that inspire me in the sports business. In addition, on that list, you'll be notified of upcoming guests or any special discounts that come from potential future apparel or store launches by going to makersofsport.com slash email. You just enter your email address to stay in touch with the happenings of the podcast and its future. Lastly, please take one or two minutes and head over to makersofsport.com slash iTunes, hit the five star and write about your experience with the show, especially those of you that don't support the show fiscally. All support matters. If you've gotten value from myself or any of the guests on the show, then please rate the podcast so that others can discover that value for themselves as well. As always, I'll accept likes or ratings on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast application you happen to be listening in. I'm at T. Adam Martin on social media, including Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, and pretty much everywhere else on the interwebs. The show is at Makers of Sport. Until next time, have a good week. Make your